Good to be with you. My name is Jamie. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. And um, when I was in seminary, um, which is grad school for those of you who don't know, um, we were dirt poor. And, uh, and we often look back on those years and remember how rich in relationships we were, but poor in every other way. Can't pay the rent or the credit card bills or uh, the car loan with relationships. So with our growing little family, there were many times when we, when, we had to, when we had to consider making some pretty drastic changes, like maybe, maybe we should put seminary on hold for a while. Maybe, maybe we should move back home. And uh, so anyway, Kylie was catching up with a, with a close friend one time on the playground outside our apartment building. And being the good New Englander that Kylie is, uh, she is not the type to talk about money woes, um, even to the closest of friends. But the subject came up. And Kylie was brutally honest about how uncertain things were for us and how um, difficult it was to, to live in that kind of uncertainty. Well, about a week later, the, the mom of this friend, who lived thousands of miles away, heard about our situation and she did something about it uh, and gave us a massive check, uh, an, enough uh, to pay for two months' rent and then some. Well, needless to say, Ky Kylie and I were just blown away by this unbelievable overture of love. This, this woman didn't know us from Adam. It, she could have given her check to, in a thousand different ways to a thousand different needs, but she, she gave it to us. She gave it so generously, so sacrificially. We were humbled, to say the least. We were grateful, and, and um, we were relieved by this help. We're continuing our, our look today um, at the subject of hope, which we've been looking at pretty closely as we've wrapped up our series on the book of Acts. And we want to examine that every single Christian gets to give away a gift that's way bigger than that check that Kylie and I received. We get to share the, the life-changing, history-altering news of Jesus Christ. We get to, to, we get to give this lavishly to others. We get to share this, this rock-solid hope that we all have and hold and cherish together. The question is, why is it so stinking hard? Why is it so hard for, for, for the lion's share of us? So we'll, we'll come back to that in a, in a bit. But um, as, as we said, over the past weeks, uh, hope is the dominant theme in these last chapters of the book of Acts. And, and we said, unless your hope is grounded on Jesus and what he has done in the past and promises to do in the future, you'll be deceived into thinking that all kinds of smaller hopes, small H hopes, are the answer. When they're not, they, they can't deliver the goods. Only Christ can. Only um, our hope is in him alone. So to give a little context 
and to bring you all up to speed, in this final quarter of this book, we've seen Paul arrested in Jerusalem. We've seen him appear before the, the council of Jewish leadership. We've seen him be rescued by the Roman military officer in charge. We've seen him appear before not one, but two Roman governors. From there, Paul's taken by ship to Rome through this crazy um, trip where he gets shipwrecked, and that's in Acts 27, which um, we're not going to read, but I, I would strongly encourage you to read it. Finally, after waiting literally years, he shows up in Rome where he awaits his trial before Caesar. So we're picking up in um, Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 21. And let's read. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they, ex when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to, to speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken evil of, uh, about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had uh, appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in, greater, in great, greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the, in the, uh, from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So that's how the book of Acts ends. You know, we're not left with any clue or, or any grand conclusion of what happened next to Paul. Just a, a man totally devoted to the mission of Jesus and totally devoted to the sharing of, of good news with everyone with whom he comes in contact. So I'd, I'd like to make just four simple observations of what we've just read. 
The first is Paul's motivation. Paul's motivation. In every other city, Paul begins by going to the local synagogue to, to share the gospel with people who, who um, share a basis of knowledge with him, a, a basis of understanding. So Paul shows up in Rome. What's the first thing he does? He does the very, th- the very same thing he's done in every other city. Only this time, since he's a prisoner and, and you know, obviously can't go to the synagogue, he, he calls them to come to him. I mean, this is on his first three days in Rome. You know, when you're, you, when you're engaged, um, no one has to tell you to, to spend time with, it, with, with, with each other. No one has to tell you to, to share your most intimate thoughts or, or dreams for the future. No. You're, you're naturally motivated. You're in love. You're naturally motivated to share everything with this person. Paul's motivation was very similar. Let's uh, look at his words in, in verse 20 again. He says, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Because of the hope of Israel that I've called you today. And first, uh, first uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, he, he says something very similar. Listen, listen to, if you can... Hear the motive. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died and therefore all died. What's the motivation here? Christ's love, right? Why? Because Jesus has shown himself by his death and resurrection to be the ultimate love, to be the source of ultimate hope. And therefore, that's why he's talking to them. That's why he's compelled to talk with them. But lest they think this is all fun and games, Paul assures them that it's not. He's, he's not triumphalistic at all. He's living um, rooted in reality. He says, uh, I, I've invited you here, since it's because of the hope of Israel, that I'm wearing this chain. You know, Paul had every reason to be defensive. Every reason to be self-absorbed. If, if I was in Paul's shoes, in, in this case, in prison, getting ready to stand trial before the, the leader of the superpowers of superpowers at the time, I'd be focused on my trial, not in, you know, uh, sharing the gospel with others. I, I'd be focused on the task to get ready, maybe keep a low profile, probably avoid more of the kind of thing that got him into this mess in the first place. In other words, I'd be focused on self-preservation, whatever's good for Jamie. So, so like the person who helped us with that gift when we were in dire straits, I'd probably be deaf to the needs around me. But Paul wasn't deaf to the needs around him. Paul doubles down. He's only been there three days and he's called a crowd of people to to share the hope of the world with. Ready to die for the sake of others. It's It's a lot like someone else we know. 
Paul's motivation smells an awful lot like Jesus. Paul's motivation smells an awful lot like Jesus. So that's the first observation, his motivation. The second, motiv- uh, the, the second observation is his listener's curiosity. Verse 22, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. So th- this crowd of Jewish leaders uh, were, were naturally curious. They'd, they'd heard about Paul, heard about this sect we now know as Christianity, heard many of their, their fellow Jews warn against him. And so if you were them, you, you'd probably naturally be curious to, to, hey, we have an opportunity to hear the guy, to check him out, hear what he has to say. But, There's a difference between natural curiosity and supernatural curiosity. John 10 um, is one of my favorite chapters. Uh, Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd. He says in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, future sheep that have not yet put their trust in me. Then skipping, skipping down to, to verse 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, no, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, what's my point? Among this crowd of people that had taken Paul up on his invitation were some who were naturally curious and some who were supernaturally curious. The supernaturally curious ones were the sheep Jesus had been calling to himself. This this could have, would have been the moment for many to trust him for the very first time. Jesus really is the hope of Israel. Jesus really is the hope of the world. That's what supernaturally, uh, supernatural curious leads to. So we've, we've seen Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel, the, the, the gospel of hope with them. We've seen his listeners' curiosity. Next, we see that there was a mixed response. There was a mixed response. Verse 24, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. So we've got this section of our, our, our lawn uh, that we cannot get to grow grass on it to save our lives. Uh, we've tried fertilizing, nothing. We've, we, we know the soil is very acidic, so we've tried adding lime to it, nothing. We, we've gotten rid of the grubs, thinking that was the problem, nothing. The problem, in some way, is with the soil. Jesus makes the same comparison. A farmer goes out to throw and, and throws seed everywhere. Some falls along the path. Some falls along the rocks. Some falls along the, the weeds. Nothing. But some fell on good soil where the seed could flourish, where the seed could grow, where the seed could bear fruit. 
Paul's working hard as a farmer. He's reasoning them with excellence. He's showing them from the scriptures, the law, the prophets, how they all point to Jesus the Messiah. And in the end, in spite of all that effort, the writer, Luke, tells us that some were convinced, some not so much. The point for us is this. God reserves some things for himself that we can't do. In other words, we can't make the spiritual lights come on in a person. Only God can do that. But God reserves other things for us that he won't do. 99.999% of the time, that requires a person. Romans 10, 14. Paul says, how then will they call on him who, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, of whom they have not, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The gospel has to be told in order for someone to respond in faith. It's, it's not like showing someone how to tie a tie or to bake a pie. Uh, if you're a believer, Jesus has commissioned you to share this incredible, life-changing, history-altering news with others. But like the farmer, we have to rest in the fact that God alone has the ability to work in people's hearts. It's not us. We are not the Savior. We are not the Messiah. We're merely messengers. So we've seen Paul's motivation for sharing. We've, we've seen how his audience was curious, some naturally, some supernaturally, and how the difference was ultimately seen in their mixed response. The last observation. We see how God, <laughs> we see how Paul was fearlessly faithful. He was fearlessly faithful. Verse 25 says, and, and, disagree, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And he quotes this bit of hard news from Isaiah about not having ears to hear or eyes to, to see or, or hearts too dull to listen and be healed. And then down to 28, he says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. That took some serious courage, boldness, fearlessness. Some of us, yourself, yours truly included, are by nature conflict avoiders. We love to be liked. We love to be respected. And so we avoid telling people the truth because of what it might do to their opinion of us. But in the scheme of eternity, a million years from now, a billion years from now, is, is, there, is their opinion of me right now really going to matter? 
is their response to the life-changing, history-altering news of the gospel going to matter? You bet. 2 Corinthians 5, um, again, Paul writes, for, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, listen to this, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So let me ask you, how do you view your neighbors? How, how do you view your coworkers? How do you view your classmates? How do you view your, the, the perfect stranger in the grocery store? From a worldly point of view or not so much? From a worldly point of view means we're, we're assessing their va value based on what we see. Or from a non-worldly, otherworldly way, we're, we're basing it on how God sees them. That they've been made in his image. They've, they've been stained by sin, but God wants nothing more for them to, to, than to receive his grace, his free grace that he purchased for them. And What's more, for them to be adopted into his family, unless and until that happens, they're outside the family. They, they, they continue as strangers, as foreigners, as people who have not received mercy. That's, that's what they're facing for all eternity. That's hell. Alexander McLaren, um, the, the 19th century Scottish preacher who has been attributed as saying this, says, um, or said, it's better for us, uh, it's better for most of us to fish with a rod than with a net. To angle for single souls rather than to try to enclose a multitude at once. Preaching to a congregation has, has its own place, has its own value, but private and personal talk, honestly and wisely done, will affect more than the most eloquent preaching. I totally agree with that. 100%. It's not merely the, the preacher, but every one of us has, is called to participate in Christ's great commission. In fact, sometimes preaching looks like sitting across the table from someone. Looks like grabbing coffee with someone. Looks like listening to questions, listening to doubts. But I'll tell you what no one can argue with is your own experience of knowing Christ. Of, of looking to him as your rock-solid hope. So, a couple questions. Who's God putting on your heart right now? Could be a coworker, could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a classmate. Are you praying for them? 
Are you, are you praying that the Lord of the harvest would awaken in them, put, shine the light of his goodness so that they can see and hear and respond to him? Are you compelled by Christ's love for them? Are you speaking the truth, even when, even when it's hard? Not brashly, but boldly, courageously, fearlessly. Well, that's where the, the book of Acts ends, with, with Paul continuing to faithlessly, fear, faithfully, fearlessly proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, boldly. What a legacy. What an incredible legacy to be used up by God for, for God's eternal purposes. Most of us, if, if not all of us, can trace our spiritual lineage back to Paul. Isn't that, isn't that amazing to think about? 2,000 years ago, when it was just breaking out, God used him in a powerful way to bring the gospel to Europe where most of us um, are from. So we are a result of this legacy. We're also a part of it. We, we are members of God's new family, commissioned with God's new mission. So we, we know that, that part of his time in Rome was, was spent writing letters. He wrote the letters of uh, Philippians, Philemon. And he also wrote the letter of Col Colossians. And uh, that's where we're going to spend some time, uh, starting next week in the letter of Colossians. So this brings to a conclusion our look at the book of Acts, a story of hope, a story of God's new family and a story of God's new mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you had a plan all along to rescue and redeem your people to yourself. That you've, you've chosen to lavish your grace on sin-stained, sin-filled people like all of us and adopt us into your family because of the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you for the courage and fearlessness that we've seen um, and ultimately the, the love of Christ that compelled our brother Paul to, to bring the good news to others. We truly want to have the same heart same mindset toward all those you are bringing, your, bringing our way. So my prayer for us, for each and every one of us, is that we, we might be devoted in prayer and praying for the lost. We might be devoted to praying for their, uh, their, their spiritual blindness and um, that you might do a miraculous work in giving them eyes to see your goodness and your grace. 
that we might be compelled and driven by, by that same love and have the courage to speak the, your grace and truth to them. So would you do that? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.